Do you wish your pastoral staff had better chemistry together and were more productive? In today's episode, we're going to show you how you can get both and boost the chemistry and the productivity of your pastoral staff. So let's get started. So the big question is this, how do pastors like us who remain focused on the mission of Jesus and serving our communities without being distracted by everything in the world around us, how do we increase our effectiveness while living a lifestyle that doesn't compromise our health, our families, or our personal relationships with Jesus? That's the question this podcast is going to answer. I'm Dr. Brandon Party Cooper, and welcome to the Ministry Hackers Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Ministry Hackers Podcast. If this is your first time with us, I'm Dr. Brandon Party Cooper, the founder of this wonderful community of Ministry Hackers. Before we get started today, I want to tell you about an exciting opportunity that we've been working on over here at Ministry Hackers just for you. It's called the How to Create a Skyrocket, I'm sorry, it's How to Skyrocket Your Pastoral Staff's Productivity Challenge. It's going to be a five-day challenge that's free for lead pastors in their first five years who either want to build a productive staff or who want to transition the staff they have into a staff that is more productive. Uh, The focus of it is going to really be to free the lead pastor you up so that you can have a growing church as well as have time at home with your family. That's a tension that all of us struggle with. And what we want to do in that five-day challenge is remove some of that tension for you and allow you to have a growing church and a time with your family. And so again, it's free. It's five days. It launches on May 3rd. And so what you'll need to do is just go to ministryhackers.com slash challenge, and you'll just sign up for free right there. Just put your name, put your email, and you'll get all the information you need to be there on May 3rd for the challenge. We're going to go live every day at one o'clock in the challenge and walk you step-by-step through in those five days, how you can have a a highly productive staff, a pastoral staff, in just five days. And so again, go to ministryhackers.com slash challenge and sign up today. So I'm joined today again by my good friend, Dr. Jason Baca, author of the book, Mastering Motivation, How to Get People to Buy Into Your Vision, Own Their Roles, and Perform at the Highest Level. He'll be my co-host over these next few weeks as we get ready and and ramp up for the challenge. And so uh, give him a warm welcome as he joins us today. Jason, how is it going? Hey, hey, how you doing, man? That's going good. How are you? I'm <laughs> doing good. Ready to get started. Nice. Nice. So one thing that all of us need, so if you're a lead pastor and you're out there and, and you have a pastoral staff, one of the things that we always want is we want great chemistry on our team. At the same time, we want we want to increase the productivity. And sometimes those can be uh, maybe competing. Like, you know, sometimes we think of like high productive staff as like driven and distant and um, even sometimes in the extremes, like almost emotionless, like they're just getting stuff done. And so, you know, they don't always have the greatest chemistry. And so what we want to talk today about is how do you have both? How do you have uh, a staff that has great chemistry, loves being around each other, you know, has, you know, a great time. You know, I know for me, whenever I think of a team that has great chemistry, I always think of like great TV shows or sitcoms where you'd have these, these teams. Like for me, it was friends. I grew up with friends. And so, you know, you think of the, 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 the cast on friends, they had such great camaraderie and go, and, you know, going back and forth. And that's what we imagine for our staff, but we don't want to, we don't want to necessarily uh, sacrifice productivity because all of us are stewards of our churches and the resources that we've been given. And so, so what's the answer? How do we get both of those two things? And what I believe is one of the biggest uh, things that you can do, one of the, the primary things you can do as a lead pastor is to treat your pastoral staff like family. So Jason, let me ask you this. When you think back over your ministry experience and this, the teams that you've been on, have you ever been a part of a team that had great chemistry and you kind of had this family atmosphere along the way? Yeah. Um, like I said, I've worked for, I believe, four different churches across the different states uh, as God has moved uh, my family and I all around. And the one stands out to me the most as far as like how to do it right. And uh, mm-hmm. it was a little bit easier because it was, well, I don't know if it's easier. It was a church plant. So we we were about 150 people. Uh, I believe we were about a year and a half to two years old. But man, it's like the fabric, the, uh, the family DNA was like really mm-hmm. woven into the team, right? So we had the core leadership team over the church. Uh, and it was, 
Yeah, it was probably the best I've seen it done as far as like being able to blend like we're family, like we're like we're not just for what you can do for the church, right? We're like, okay, yes, you're right. talented or yes, you're skilled or whatever, but it's not just like, oh, how, how, what role can you fill or, you know, are you really a great singer right. or whatever? It's there. It, there really was like each person was all about the other person while at the same time being productive and getting stuff done. I mean, it was it was not an easy feat pulling off Sunday, especially, as you know, in a church plant. I mean, right. everybody's wearing 15 million hats and, <laughs> you know, like the pastor is the worship leader, is the preacher, is the chair setter upper. Um, so, yeah, it was it was done really, really well, and I was really imp- impressed by it. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is, you know, I think all of us on some level or another, when we're going through Bible college and we're preparing for ministry and, and we're imagining, you know, for most of us, we didn't go into a lead position right away. We went mm-hmm. to a youth pastor or whatever. We imagine being on a team like that. We imagine being on a team that, you know, where the lead pastor is a little bit of a mentor to us and, you know, maybe has us over dinner at his house and, you know, we get to hang out with the other staff members and, like, I mean, I know for me, that's what I imagined ministry was going to be like. And and I've been a part of some really great teams. And then I've been part of not so really great teams. Yeah. And really what it, <laughs> one of the biggest differentiations between that is whether or not we saw each other as hmm. a family or whether we just were working together. We yeah. were coworkers, we had a mission and we were doing our jobs and that was it. Um, and so, so, yeah. And I think that, you know, it all, as we mentioned yesterday, you know, everything flows down from leadership. And so as the, as a lead pastor, the idea is if you want a, a team, you want a pastoral staff that has great, uh, you know, great chemistry and, and really enjoys being around each other, you have to create that atmosphere and you have to create uh, that environment for them to be in. And so, so before we get into how to create that, let's talk about, um, let's talk about like what you need to do or what the benefits I guess are um, to creating a a, a family like atmosphere. And the first one is it encourages camaraderie and loyalty so that everyone is willing to go the extra mile. Hmm. Now, I don't know about you, Jason, but so when you think over your teams and the teams you've been on, you know, can you think of a time or, and not don't necessarily need to share it, but can you just think of times where (laughs) I'm going to name names, I'm calling people out. No, (laughs) now's your chance. (laughs) Can you think of a time where, you know, like maybe you needed someone on the staff to like step up and help you out. And they were just kind of like, that's not really my thing or that's not really my area. And so Mm -hmm. peace out. Good luck and let me know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I brought it up like it's a little easier in a church plant is because the team is a lot smaller. And so everybody's mm-hmm. wearing 15 different hats and everybody's all in, you know, whereas like I've worked for churches that are 10, 12, 15,000 people. And, uh, you know, obviously you need a lot bigger staff. And so everything yeah. gets a lot more segregated into departments yep. and rightfully so. I mean, it's you have yeah. to, right? You have to yeah. specialize. Yeah. Like that is the the sound guy. Like he doesn't. He doesn't do 15 million things like he just runs the sound and he does it really well. But, you know, Mm -hmm. what that can create is kind of silos. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. aside from an occasional staff meeting, like once a month or if you're even if your church does it once a week, like you don't really know, especially in a bigger church, you you really don't know everybody else that works there. Like it was crazy. Like I was full time on staff at a church, this big church. And there were other people who literally worked in the exact same building as I did, who were also full-time staff on the same church at the same church I was, who yeah. like I barely I maybe knew their first name. Like I didn't really know anything about them. Uh, and right. yet we all worked together technically on a Sunday to pull off services, you know, because all of the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And so, yeah, I think you know, the bigger your church grows and especially the bigger your staff grows and the more specialized roles become, the harder it is to kind of really keep a tight knit group. And at some level, there's going to be some drop off. Like at some level, you can't help it. Like everyone is so devoted to their, their specific Mm -hmm. role and, you know, you don't see each other a whole lot, but that's why I think what we're talking about here is, is, you know, as the lead pastor, as the culture creator, Mm -hmm. the curator of the culture of the church, like you have to work really hard, especially if God is blessing the church and you're growing at maintaining that kind of like family, like atmosphere, because as you mentioned, yes, it, it turns into it can turn into a situation where not only like, you know, you ask somebody to do something and they're like, well, that's not my job. But I mean, right. it's like I have to first like learn their name 
to before I can even <laughs> right. ask them to do something. I'm like, hey, aren't you right. the aren't you the girl that does the front desk with the you know like? Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's vitally important to, to making people feel really connected. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's a good point too, though, because even as you you know, like you said, as the church gets bigger you have to segregate. The only functional way to operate is that you segregate out more. Right. But at the same time, like, okay, if I'm the lead pastor, I have a core pastoral staff that I work, they're my direct reports. Mm -hmm. And if I'm creating that family atmosphere among us, Mm -hmm. then the assumption is, is that I've modeled it now for you. And so you now go into your worship department or kids department or whatever department you're in and you create that with them. And yeah. so even though you grow to a size that, man, it's almost impractical to have this family atmosphere, you just take the concept and you move it down. But again, right. it has to start with if the lead pastor is disconnected from everybody, mm-hmm. then it makes that harder to expect the departments to have that atmosphere themselves. Well, it kind of reminds, and me, you, you it kind of reminds me of like back in, in, uh, in school, in the university, right? Studying this leadership stuff. We go through a lot mm-hmm. of theories. You're, you remember LMX theory? Which is mm-hmm. basically, for those of you who don't know, LMX theory means like a leader, any given leader has a limited amount of time and energy and resource. And so yep. the bigger your church grows, the less you'll be able to spread that out amongst more and more people, right? Like in mm-hmm. a church plan, if it's like you and, and your wife and the worship leader, like it's a lot easier to give your yeah. time and attention to maintaining those relationships. But once your church is 15,000 people, and you have a staff, a full time staff of like seventy two people. Like it's right. it's it's impossible for the lead pastor to have like ongoing you know dinners with everybody on staff, much yeah. less in the church, right? So, like, <laughs> exactly. the, so to go back to LMX theory, uh, that's why I think what we're talking about here and why the challenge is so important for lead pastors is because you only have a limited amount of time yep. and energy for relationships, and that's why your pastoral staff, like your the next tier down as far as leadership and authority in the church is the most important for you to create that family-like atmosphere because right. then, as you said, they in turn go to their departments and it kind of just trickles down culturally mm-hmm. throughout the organization where is if you're trying to – at some level, you're just going to have to concede that you're not going to be best friends with everybody in the church. Right. Like, or and manage that expectation too. Like other people yeah. can't expect that of you. Right. And and as your staff gets bigger and bigger, you, you it's not even going to happen within your own staff, right? Like right. So for instance, mm-hmm. the church I work for that was, it depends on how you count the numbers. You know, like we like to fudge right. the numbers a lot. It was like 10 to 15,000. It was somewhere in there. It's really hard to count 15,000 people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do we count the people who were members, but they they all died last month? You know, like, right. are, we keep, are we keeping track of who's dying? Like, but yeah, so let's just say ten to fifteen thousand. Um, you know, I didn't really know the senior pastor, the lead pastor. Right. Like, I mean, I knew him. I knew his name. Obviously, I'd see him preach every Sunday. He knew my name, and he knew he knew my name and like what department I was in. But that's about <laughs> it. I never had dinner with him. We didn't go out for coffee. Like, it just it just didn't happen. And and in hindsight, you know, you, there's either one way to look at that, which is like, man. Like this guy doesn't make any time for me or he doesn't care about me or man, I work full time at this church and he doesn't even know my kids' names, uh, you know, right. or or whatever. He doesn't know what high school I went to. <laughs> like <laughs> like right. there is that side of it, right? Where the, the mm-hmm. as a lead pastor, you should um, try. But at some point you have to realize like his main priority. So all you lead pastors out there that are, that are listening, your main priority is your pastoral staff and your direct, right. the, the leaders over the church really pouring into them, giving them your time, giving them your energy, giving them your resources so that they can turn around and do the same and be highly productive in their roles and the church can keep growing and flourishing. Exactly. Which leads us into the second reason why you need to create a family atmosphere. And that is because a family atmosphere, it fosters an atmosphere of collaboration, Mm -hmm. uh, which eliminates some of those territorial behaviors. Because again, as you said, as you get bigger, you get siloed out. And so then it's like when it comes time to really collaborate and come together, it's harder to do because you're more siloed. Mm-hmm. And even in even in smaller churches, if you're a church of, let's say, 800 or, or 900 people, if you're in that window, you, you're, you know, you're big enough to where you're starting to see some of those silos created, mm-hmm. but you're still at that size where you can still operate like a family atmosphere. And right. so if, 
and, and a lot of times you're working on bigger projects together and, you know, you're coming together and trying to collaborate. Well, if you're all siloed out and you don't have a family atmosphere to lean on, well, then it's harder to collaborate because you spend most of the collaboration time figuring each other out and, you know, almost fighting for your own territories and your own departments. And, you know, I don't yeah. want to give up my money. Let's use your budget, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. That's and a big deal. Like that just becomes, collaboration becomes a lot more difficult if you don't have more of a family atmosphere. or even worse, can we, as they say, just get real for a moment. <laughs> I've been on, unfortunately, you know, this it's, it happens within the church that sometimes collaborate, people are hesitant to collaborate, especially when you don't have that family type atmosphere, not only because there's competition in, you know, I want, I'd rather use your budget than use my budget, but right. in somebody maybe being jealous that somebody else has the position they have, when that's, yeah. they wanted that position, or right. they're, they, they don't want to help you do a good job so that right. you don't look like you're doing as good of a job so that right. maybe they'll shine a little <laughs> bit brighter as like, hmm, yeah. maybe we should have so-and-so, you know, handling these <laughs> things. And so, you know, that's kind of the unspoken truth, like the kind of pulling right. back the curtain a little bit, if we're just going to keep it real. Sometimes if you, if you as the lead pastor do not like ingratiate your pastoral staff, and then the with the trickle-down effect of that family atmosphere and really loving one another and wanting each other to succeed and serving one another, even if, you know, that person has the job that you wish you had, like, right. it can really turn into this, like, self-sabotage kind of a thing because of competing agendas and competing, uh, like you said, issues of money or title or position right. or status. And, and a lot of that can be squashed if from the the get-go, the lead pastor has really cultivated a culture of mm -hmm. that family-like atmosphere. Well, because the reality is, as the lead pastor, a lot of times you don't know that stuff's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, you're removed from that. That's all happening in other meetings or behind closed doors or inside conversations in the hallway. And yeah. then when they're with you or they're in staff meeting or whatever else, everything seems all right. And so as a, as a lead pastor, you may not even be aware of some of those things. Whereas if you're foster, if you're being intentional about fostering that family-like atmosphere, then you don't have to worry about those things going on as much because you know the kind of atmosphere you're in. And if somebody's not with that, if they're not falling mm -hmm. into that, you know, it kind of goes back to the who's on and who's off the bus. Like yeah. the ones who don't belong are pretty obvious. They yeah. shine out because they just don't connect with the rest of the team. The chemistry is off. And so it's pretty clear, hey, maybe we just need to, you know, start moving in a different direction, let you succeed elsewhere, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, because you can't you can't see all those things that are going on when you don't have a family atmosphere. So Yeah. And that's why you it's so important. Like I keep coming back to that LMX, that at the very least, you know your pastoral staff really well. Like if yes. that's happening a couple tiers down or with volunteer teams right. or whatever, obviously yeah. you're going to be really removed from that. But if that if that competition's happening like within the people that you should be spending the most time with and you don't see right. it, well then that's a big problem. Like, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. And then the final one is when you have a family atmosphere, it increases team energy, which comes huge when it comes to productivity and innovation. Your productivity and innovation increases when you have a family-like atmosphere and the energy is high. And so I know for me, like when, when it's time to come up with a creative way to do ministry or, you know, especially looking over this last year, you know, of the churches that I've worked with and the pastors that I talked to and the clients that I have, one of the things that I noticed is the teams that were close-knit, that had good chemistry, man, they were able to pivot when everything started happening last March. They innovated quickly. They figured out answers because they trusted each other, they leaned on each other and their energy level is already high. Whereas, you know, if it's, you know, if it's kind of drudgery just to be around your, mm -hmm. you know, your team members, well then, you know, Hey, we need to figure this out. And everybody's like, uh, is that my job? Is that their job? <laughs> and then yeah. it's like, Hey, we need to innovate something. Well, can't we just do it this way? Like yeah. nobody has the energy to put into it. And, you know, and, and I think sometimes, unfortunately, that's why churches just kind of chill where they are. And they don't innovate or come up with new ideas and and approach ministry in different ways because the atmosphere on the on the pastoral staff is just kind of like, let me just do my thing in my department. I don't want to really worry about everybody else. And so, what's so great though about the family like atmosphere is that it really goes both ways. So when you create mm -hmm. a family type atmosphere in your culture, not only is there a little bit more leeway there to ask somebody to go the extra mile, 
which is going to happen. Like if you've been doing ministry right. longer than one week, like something's going to come up that needs to get done and somebody's got to do it and you're going to have to ask somebody, somebody right? It's it never, nothing ever goes like picture perfect cookie cutter according to plan. But the cool, th- the cool thing about the family atmosphere, again, if we want to like, just keep it real. Um, those, <laughs> those of us who have worked on these on church staffs before, uh, sometimes there doesn't feel like there's that same type of leeway the other way, right? From mm-hmm, the right. pastoral staff to the lead pastor or, you know, right. however many mm-hmm. tiers down. M- meaning, to your point about productivity and innovation, you know, in, in leadership, we, we call this like tacit knowledge. Meaning mm-hmm. there's, there are things that like, you, I hate to, you know, phrase things this hierarchically, but, you know, on the kind of lower level volunteers basis, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like, again, forgive me for using that type of language, but you you guys know what I mean. Um, right. Like, you know, the the sound team, the parking lot team, the, the greeter team, etc. They are inherently going to know things about Sunday service, about processes, about problems that you as mm-hmm. a lead pastor will never see on a Sunday morning or right. on a Wednesday night or whatever. Like, you're, you're never going to see the, the leaky roof like in the closet, in the kids' ministry, like you're never going to see that, right? So yeah. Yeah. the creating that family-type culture also allows the freedom for people, you know, underneath your leadership to come to you and say, hey, I think this is a way that we could do this better. Or, hey, I know we've been doing this this way for like a really long time, but have you thought about this? Or even, right. you know, in, as tactfully and politely and in love as possible, address mistakes that are being made by the pastoral staff uh, of people above this. So, because uh, one of the biggest things that I've seen, and this is not unique to church, this is just organizations in general, is, is sometimes there's just not a culture of freedom for people to be able to just share their thoughts uh, Mm -hmm. that otherwise might actually make things a lot more productive or innovative because there's like this clamp on like, Oh, we don't say that, or we don't talk about that. or We don't bring that up. And so what right. that indicates is like, we're not really a family, right? This is mm-hmm. like, this is like more like a military, right? Where you right. don't, you don't, you don't talk up the chain of command. So that's one of the beautiful things about creating a family culture is not only do you have a little more leeway and pull with the people in your church, ideally your pastoral staff, but it also just opens up the conversation to you as the lead pastor receiving information that you right. otherwise would not have normally received so that you can make better decisions on how to overall be more productive and innovative. Right. Yep. Yep, exactly. Okay, so then let's get into how do you create or how do you treat your pastoral staff like family? And really, it's just a couple simple ways. And it's not an exhaustive list. There's all kinds of things you can do. But if you can get these things right, then the other things will kind of fall in place. And the first one is get to know your pastoral staff personally. Mm-hmm. Now, again... As, as we've talked, like depending on the size of your church and the, you know, the, the layers that you have in your organizational staff, definitely your direct reports. Those at, at the very least, if you have multiple layers of staff members who are considered pastoral staff, know that first lever, level, that first layer, know them personally. What I mean by that is know their kids' names, know their likes and dislikes, you know, know their fears and their dreams, like get to know who they are not just know what skill set they bring to the table that helps you and the ministries of your church. Get to know them personally. Right. And so, Jason, can you think of a time in your ministry where somebody really took the time to know you, like how that changed the way you saw ministry or how you produced or how you spent time with that team? Yeah, it's it's the little things, isn't it? Like Yeah. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of that that case study where they had the the factory workers and they told the whole factory, like, okay, we're going to do an experiment, and we're going to put you guys into a really well-lit area, and then mm-hmm. we're going to put you guys into a kind of a dimly lit area, and we're going to see if the lighting has anything to do with productivity. And right. so, like, you know, you would assume those who are in the brighter lights would feel better, maybe be more productive, etc. and then those that were in the dimmer lights, you know, productivity decreased, and people were angry and at each other's throats. And right. what was interesting about the study is that they they realized both teams' productivity went way up. Mm-hmm. And so they're scratching their heads. They're going, wait, what? How did, how did <laughs> us doing this exp- – how did this result in both our, our productivity way up? And what they realized was the productivity went way up because now everyone in the factory knows that people are concerned with them and their right. working Paying conditions. Attention. 
and yeah. and like yeah the the lighting and and all of these things so it's like they were working so much harder just because they felt valued so even though mm-hmm. it was like a an experiment they still felt like they were a part of something like wow leadership really cares like they they right. want to see like they want to make better working conditions for us and so yeah it was just both productivity went up and so it just you know to apply that to our context it's just amazing how when you just recognize somebody, you know, you've maybe heard the uh, expression "catch somebody doing something right," you right. know, um, and like you said, get to know them personally. And the more specific, this is even—I can't remember where I read it, but it was like something about the more specific your compliments are, psychologically, yeah. mm-hmm. the better received yep. they are. So instead yep. of me saying like, "Hey, Brandon, that's a nice shirt," I would say, "Hey, Brandon." I love like the the stripes and the purple and the way the collar just falls. Like, man, that's a really cool shirt. Like the more specific you get, the more personal the person feels the compliment. So right. like you said, it, it, a person is not just skill sets in these things, right? So when you see like um, they posted a picture that they went out to eat with their family or whatever, you know, for you mm-hmm. to bring that up and say like, hey, I saw you had a good weekend or right. say, hey, I saw you guys went to such and such restaurant and you got their ribs. I love their ribs. Did you like them? Mm-hmm. Like if the more specific you can tailor um, your your conversations with your pastoral staff, the more they're going to see feel seen and valued. And the right. only way to do that, to, to Brandon's point, is by actually getting to know them. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I remember even when I was coming up in, in ministry, you know, I was in, in a larger church and... Um, the lead pastor eventually became a mentor of mine. But before that, um, I just remember like he knew I was, you know, I was on staff and and he knew who I was. Um, and we would just kind of have random off conversations. But the thing that I realized that in those off conversations, he was paying such close attention. He was remembering mm. those details. Yeah. And I remember, you know, it, it kind of like hit me when um, I was talking to him, him and I were talking and he introduced me to somebody else. And he didn't introduce me as like, you know, one of the, one of the guys in the office or, you know, anything like that. He introduced me as his friend, Hmm. Brandon. And then he like told a couple like details about me Mm -hmm. that I'm like, he, I'm nobody. Like he shouldn't know that. Yeah. But it was because in our conversations before he just paid enough attention that I realized in that moment, like he really did was making the effort to know me Mm -hmm. and it just changed my, I mean, not that I had like a disgruntled attitude, but it really changed the way I saw myself on the team and the value. Cause I was way low on the totem pole mm-hmm. and I realized, man, like he values me at that level to pay attention and know my name and know things about me. And, and even to this day, like, you know, he's one of the guys that, you know, when he, so he, he spoke at um, a general council one time mm-hmm. and he just like pointed to me and said, my brand, my friend Brandon here. Yeah. And I just thought like, I, again, I'm nobody compared yeah. to him. But yet yeah. He is acknowledging me as his friend and he knows me and he's taking the time to know the details. And so it just, it's such a huge win, you know, for any staff member who, you know, your pastor knows who you are and knows the details about you and your family. So yeah, it puts some, so wind, that's in, some wind in your sails, you know, like you get excited to like to, to yeah. show up the next day. It's yeah. It changes everything. Well, and it makes you feel like, man, I'll, man, I'll go to bat for him. I'll be loyal to him. Like I'll do whatever he asked me to do. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's the first way. Get to know him personally. The second thing is to share meals with them. Hmm. So I, so, so the thing I say here is lunch is good, but dinner is better. Lunch (laughs) is good, but dinner is better. Because here's the thing as a lead pastor, it's easy for me to squeeze in a lunch. Like I have to have lunch. I'm at the office. My pastoral staff is there. And so like, let's just go grab lunch together. Mm -hmm. That's great. But if you can take the next step and invite them over to dinner, over to your house, over with your family, or even just take them out to dinner, you know, your wife and, you know, and their spouse and however that works, like go out to dinner with them. That is huge. Um, Because again, you're not just, you're not talking to them because they're your staff member. Mm -hmm. You're spending time with them because you actually care about them. Yeah. Um, And that's a huge step forward in having a family atmosphere. Dinner is is uh it's more precious time slot, right? Than yep. lunch because exactly. technically with lunch you're still working, you're still at lunch or you're still at work. It's still the middle of the day, so we end up talking up, shop most of the time. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I've been to countless lunches with you know the church staff as I've worked at churches over the years, and you always just end up talking about church. Like you just end up talking <laughs> about work or oh yeah, we got that thing we got to do, the project, the <laughs> video, the whatever. Like you know, got this thing coming up or you know, but. 
and, and again, like you said, there's a definitive kind of beginning, middle, and end. You just squeeze it in. You know, at some point, we got to go back to work. It, it all kind of stays with the flow of work. Uh, right. And you end up just working while you're eating. That's what it becomes. It's like we're just going to keep working while we eat since the right. content of our conversations <laughs> is just work. But, right. but dinner, especially because, you know, in our American culture, like the idea is we clock out at some point. So like work is over. Now I'm going to right. be with my family and you usually mm -hmm. reserve dinner for your family. So when yeah. you're willing to give someone that time slot, when technically yeah. work is supposed to be over and technically I should, you know, ideally you would go out to, to, to eat or, or have somebody over with the families, which right, right builds those relationships even better. But it just speaks like far more value to the person. Like I value mm -hmm. you a lot to have you over right. to our house at night when it's like work is over you know, probably tired and stressed out <laughs> from the day. <laughs> right. And I, I still want to spend more time with you for another yes. hour or two. Uh, yeah, right. I could not agree more, man. It's just, it's, yeah. it's night and day difference between taking someone out to lunch and having them over for dinner. Right. Now this doesn't fall under the umbrella of have a meal with them, but it kind of does. The pastor, the last pastor that I was on staff with, the lead pastor, the, one of the things that he taught me that I will forever be grateful for and I've never seen this before at any other staff situation, but what he did is he planned a two day retreat for the entire pastoral staff. It was just pastoral staff, hmm. a two day retreat at a cabin where everybody, we all went up to the cabin and we stayed there for, you know, it was two nights, I guess, in like two days or whatever. And there was no agenda, no work related. It was just us playing games, us, you know, going hiking, us, you know, watching a movie, like literally two days of us just mm. hanging out and spending That's time awesome. together. And I loved it. I mean, I love retreats in general, you know, even work retreats and, you know, seminars and whatever. But this was great because we, we really just as a bunch of couples, we went and we hung out at this cabin and we played games and we talked about life and the future. And, you know, we went hiking and it was just, it was you felt everybody's stress level go down. Right. And you felt everybody's like affection and, and camaraderie and all of that go way up. And it was all orchestrated by the lead pastor. And at the end of the, at the end of the retreat, he gave each of us a basket of like gifts, um, you know, that weren't super expensive. They were just thoughtful gifts. You know, each, each basket had a game that was, kind of tailored to the family that he was giving it to. And it was great. And so it's one of the things that I've ever since, and I've remembered, you know, I will, I will implement that every time I can take my staff, we'll go out, we'll have a retreat and just have fun. That's it. Yeah. And you get to know people on a completely different level when the context changes. Like, yep. so my encouragement would be, if you're going to do that, like, don't take them to like, you know, don't have it at the church, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's just something about environment, you know, like yep. I remember, uh, working at a restaurant. So I waited tables for a long time when I was younger and, uh, you know, we, we had these like uniforms we had to wear. And so it's like very proper. It's kind of a upscale, kind of a classy restaurant. And so, you know, all the years that I worked there, I really only knew the people in the context of the restaurant and the nice the nice right. uniforms they had we had to wear. And so it was funny because one time we had it like a similar retreat where like we took a Saturday, I think the restaurant even just shut down and we all mm -hmm. went to the local uh, park. It was like this big park in the area. And so obviously no one's going to wear their uniforms, right? And so right. It, was, it was really cool because we all spent the day together at the park, like hanging out, barbecue and throwing the Frisbee or whatever. And everyone's wearing their, what we jokingly called their civilian clothing. And, uh, right. and so, you know, you just see people in a different light, you see them in a different context. Yeah. And, uh, as you can tell, I'm, I like, uh, you know, bold color, like, <laughs> and so I, I remember, uh, wearing some sort of like a salmon colored shirt and some brown shorts or so, I don't know, it was something like that. And one of the girls that I worked with, she, she looked me up and down, she said, Hmm, you know, I figured you probably dressed like that. Like, <laughs> You know, so, they had you pegged. Yeah, yeah, like, hmm, like, because every this is the first time we're all seeing each other like in regular right. clothes, and so, but then I noticed like when we went back to work the next night, it's it just like the whole vibe was just yeah. free flowing and fun, and everybody's laughing, yeah. and it just you really felt connected to the team, and so yeah, it just it's a huge, huge game changer when you step outside of your little bubble that you're constantly running around in from Sunday to Sunday. Yep. 
and you like, you know, put on your street clothes or whatever, your civilian clothing in a different environment or context, like a park or a retreat center or something. Yeah. And like you said, and the agenda is just simply to connect, right. not, yep. you know, we, we need, we need to crank out next year's planning while we're here. You know, it's just like, <laughs> right. it, it's just to throw a Frisbee. Like we're just right. here to right. throw a Frisbee and eat some hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Awesome. So, so if you're wanting to create a pastoral, st- a family like atmosphere with your pastoral staff, the first one is get to know them personally. The second one is share meals with them. And then the last one, the third one is to take care of them. Now I know this probably goes without saying, but I think when we get into ministry and we get into the business, we get everything going on. Sometimes we forget to take care of the people that are directly under us. We forget to take care of our pastoral staff because I'm the lead pastor. I know the weight that's on me. I know the demands on me, all those things. And sometimes I forget everything that the rest of my pastoral staff carries. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we take care of them. And, and there's a few ways that we do that. The first one, and probably the most uncomfortable one of all of them, is compensate them well. Hmm. Compensate your pastoral staff well. There is a crazy statistic I saw uh, just a few months ago. I was talking about, so it was a study about um, the, the compensation dynamics of businesses. And the, the part-time to full-time breakdown in businesses across the board, on average, it was like 17 to 19% of um, businesses have part-time st- or 17 to 19% of the staff are part-time Okay. in, in businesses across the, uh, the board. Yeah. In churches, the part-time percentage, so of all the staff, 42% wow. <laughs> of pastoral staffs were part-time. Yeah. And that was staggering to me just thinking, because I know it doesn't matter what level of pastoral staff you are, you're giving your whole life and heart and guts out for that. Yeah. And, and many of our pastors out there are working for, either they're working for a tar- part-time salary or they're working full-time and getting paid peanuts along the way. Right. And I understand the budgets that churches we deal with and, and, you know, trying to increase our ties so we can, like, I get all the comments and, and arguments around that. But at the end of the day, if you're asking one of your pastoral staff members to give everything they have to the job you've hired them to, but then on the backside, you're really not compensating them to a point where they can take care of their families, then something has to give. Either you give them relief on the job side or you compensate them more. So, cause it's hard to pastor people well when you're worried about whether or not your family's going to eat. Right. Um, and, and that's a reality for a lot of pastoral staff members out there. And so the first thing is just to compensate them. Well, do you, Jason, you have any thoughts on that or any perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, that's, that's crazy. I didn't know that. That's like literally more than double the, the, yeah. uh, the average yeah. for like most businesses. Yeah. And, you know, and even in my mind, it's kind of like, well, if, you know, double is two to every one, it's like, if you just merge two of those part-time positions together, it creates a full-time yep. position, then you can just compensate someone accordingly. Uh, yeah. It, it, you made a great point, man, on, on, it just creates stress, right? Again, mm-hmm. coming back to like, keeping it real, like you're, there's no such thing as part-time ministry, usually, right. like there's always right. more work to be done or if you are legitimately only working 20 hours a week, like we're going to find other stuff for you to do. Right. And so <laughs> like it will turn into a full-time job. And so, right. yeah, I think it just creates a lot of stress. It can create stress and tension in the home, right? Because mm-hmm. they have to manage their finances and they feel like they're, they're just barely surviving. Right. And it, it, you know, it kind of backfires sometimes again, understanding budgets and all of those things It can backfire because what ends up happening is you don't have that person's full attention. Because they're constantly having to think, well, do I need to get another job? Should I start Mm -hmm. a side business? Like, you know, should I get another part-time job somewhere? Or they're looking at jobs, full-time job postings at other churches to be like, where can I go where they do have the budget to afford me and I can fulfill God's call on my life to do the thing that I do? And so, you know, in in the short-sightedness, it seems like we're being good stewards of our money or we're getting, you know, I hate to use the expression more bang for our buck because you have someone working twice as much as you're paying them. But having a long-term view, you're really losing in the long-term because that person doesn't feel protected. 
It doesn't feel uh, like, you know, the church is all in on us. And they cannot help but to let their mind drift throughout the day, even while they're doing their job of like, should I be, you know, I should be like emailing my people right now. Should I also be on indeed.com? Like, you know, (laughs) like looking. it's (laughs) it's the same thing in sports, right? You see this all the time when there's lingering contract talks, right? And then when a quarterback or an NBA player, like they finally get their contract, boom, it's done. And now I can like, now I can just focus on playing basketball. Like now I can go all in because there's no more money questions. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, and you know, the thing is, is it's a growing trend. And so that's part of what's alarming to me is that it's a growing trend that we're pushing more towards a part-time format Hmm. than a full-time one. And I'm not entirely sure of the philosophy behind that. And just for a benchmark. So for those of you who are unsure of how to measure that, just as a benchmark for most of us in most of our churches, your uh, budget for staff, pastoral staff should be around about on the low end, like 45% of your budget should be pastoral staff. If you start to get to that 60% mark, you're kind of pushing the limits. You know, if you're in a growth mode and, you know, and, and, you know, you kind of need to hire staff for growth, you know, the 60% is, you know, is okay for a period, but kind of that 45 to 55 window, 50% is ideal. And so if you're looking at your budget and you have lots of staff members and you're not paying them much and you have, you know, a 30% of your budget is going to pastoral staff, consider shifting things around and reallocating money so you can pay your pastoral staff well and take care of them and they can take care of their families. So, so that's the first thing. First way to take care of them is to compensate them all. The second thing is help them prioritize their families hmm. over ministry. Yes, that's on them. Yes, that's their responsibility. But as the lead pastor, number one, model it for them. Number two, teach them how to do it. And then number three, hold them accountable and make sure they're doing it. And I think one of the biggest things, honestly, is um, that I've seen anyway, is just simply giving them permission. Because a lot of times, you know, pastoral staff or otherwise, anybody that's a part of the church, specifically staff, there's like this implicit, like, guilt of like not, you know, working 60 hours a week for the church, right? One of the Mm -hmm. churches that I worked at, I mean, people wore it like a badge of honor, like literally compare. I was complaining one time, complaining because I worked, uh, I think I put in like 70 something hours in a week. Okay. And you know, I shouldn't have been complaining, like whatever. I just, I worked a ton. I was tired. I felt like half the stuff I spent my time on shouldn't have even like been a thing, you know? So I was just kind of in a moment. And so I start complaining and, uh, not, nothing crazy or overt. And then like around the table, people start like saying how many hours they worked over the past few weeks or I average blah, blah, blah. But it didn't come out as more complaining like I was doing. (laughs) It came out like bragging. Like they yeah. were just like, oh yeah, man, I work at least 60 hours a week, every week. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. It's 60, I wish I only worked 60, man, but 65, like if it's not 65, I didn't have a good week. And it's just like, you're such a lightweight. Nuts. This is nuts. Yeah. Like, so I think, but a lot of that is, is built in like the expectation yeah. is if I'm not mm-hmm. killing myself working for the yeah. church every week, then I'm not doing a good job, you know, because, because right. of this like misconception of like excellence like excellence right. equals more hours. And so, right. yeah, I think the, one of the biggest things as a lead pastor to help your staff prioritize their family is just like explicitly verbally giving them permission to go home, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yep. right. Yep, exactly. Well, and that's even kind of the, a little bit of the push behind the challenge that we're putting together. The whole right. focus is, you know, we want to make sure that you as a lead pastor can be pastoring a growing church and have time with your family. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing goes for your pastoral staff. They want to be a part of a growing church and and follow you in that pursuit, but they also want to be with their family just as much as you do. And so okay. the whole idea of the challenge is to teach you as the lead pastor how to do that so that you can then, you know, trickle that down and teach them and model it. And then again, hold them accountable. You know, uh, for those of you on the podcast, you know, um, uh, Pastor Matt Wozbinski, who's on the podcast from time to time. And at his church, he just talked about it a few weeks ago at his church, they actually track 
how many Sundays you take off. So mm-hmm. if you, I think it's every six Sundays, you have to take a Sunday off wow. and just be with your family, whether you go to another church or whether you come to their church and you just sit there and don't do anything mm-hmm. like they track it. And if you don't do it, they make you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, not because they're trying to be tyrants, but because they want to make sure that you and your right. family are healthy. And so I, I think that's great. So because they help know them something's always going to come families. up, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always a reason not to take the Sunday off. And oh, Oh, I would, but this week is like, man, so and so called out and they're not going to be there. And yeah, there's always a a million reasons to like work more, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. All right. So then the final thing on taking care of your, of your pastoral staff is prepare them to succeed in their next ministry position. Hmm. So a lot of times at lead pastors, we get in our mindset that, hey, I got this great staff member. And I'm going to hang on to them and hold them tight and keep them here as long as I can. Mm -hmm. And yes, like, obviously that's the idea. If you get a great staff member, you want to keep them as long as you can. But if you invest into them with the intention of at some point they're going to leave and I want them to be better prepared and to be, um, you know, in a position of success moving from here to there. If you take that mindset and hold them with that open hand, it actually will increase their loyalty to you. It'll create this idea that you really are concerned about them and you are trying to take care of them beyond what they can do for you at your church, because you're investing in them in the next church they go to, whether it's, you know, they're going to go to another youth ministry or they're going into a lead pastor position. You're kingdom minded enough to understand that Mm -hmm. you have them for this time and you're going to invest as much as you can so they can be successful in the next step. And so that just communicates so much. Do you happen to know like uh, average turnover rates? For like, like what is the statistical likelihood of somebody getting hired as the worship leader of a church when, when it's 400 people and they are still the worship leader or worship director, like 15 years later when the church is 3000, do you know like what the likelihood is of that person, like staying that entire time in that role? So it's, it's, it's getting smaller all the time. And it used to be so part of the perspective has been, you know, cause youth pastors are always the one, like they're always the conversation of like the average youth pastor is here for 16 months. And then the mm-hmm. average, pastor, I think the last one I heard a couple of years ago is the average youth pastor is there for 12 months, you know, tops. Wow. And you know, there's lots of <laughs> dynamics to go. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's great. There's lots of dynamics <laughs> that go into that. And quite honestly, in my personal opinion, a lot of them come down to either poor training hmm or bad lead pastor leadership that run them out. Mm. However, I say all that, most staff, pastoral staff members, if you get five years out of them, you should count yourself pretty lucky. Mm. If you get 10 years out of them, they're a unicorn. And so if you, you know, now there's all kinds of different variations of that. You know, if you get, you know, one of your good friends comes on staff as your worship pastor and you you guys have imagined doing, you know, ministry together for years, you could do 20 years together. But if you're just plucking someone out of the, you know, out of the ether of the world and saying, Hey, come be my kid's pastor, which there's an incredible shortage of that. And so if you have a kid's pastor, really hang on to them, (laughs) invest into them and love them because you know, I can't tell you how many churches that I talk to that are saying, we just can't find one. Mm. And so, yeah, you're really looking at, you know, if you can get five years out of a, out of a pastoral position, you're pretty good. 10 years, you should count yourself really lucky. So I'm just thinking like, statistically speaking, would you feel like it's safe to say that as you, the lead pastor, all the lead pastors out there, as you look at your pastoral staff, it's highly likely that five years from now, the people in those roles will be different people. Yep. Yeah. Just in general. So just that it feeds right into what you're saying, which is, you know, preparing the person for that next step in their journey in, in pursuing the Lord's calling in ministry is like, we have to first just come to grips with the fact that they're probably not going to be here five years from now, right? Who knows? Who knows what the future holds And each it's case by case, but just by and large, statistically speaking, five or, or push it out to 10 if you want to, 10 years from now, the team I have right now will be completely different faces, completely different names. Yep. And so all these yep. people that you're working with right now, Sunday to Sunday, are eventually going to take the next step. And so your job as a pastor is to, number one, be okay with that. <laughs> right. Because that's yep. a hurdle of just like coming to grips with that reality. But then number two, as you said, like pour into that and and give them yeah. a catalyst and give them, an, you know, really accelerate them in that growth so that they're prepared 
all the better for that next role when, if, and when it comes. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, if you create a family atmosphere on your team and you really take care of them, really honestly take care of your staff members, mm-hmm. you're going to increase that longevity that they'll stay with you. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, they're going to recognize I'm not going to find this everywhere else I go. Right. And so, you know, they're going to want to hang on to that feeling of, Hey, we're in this together. We love each other. We're standing by each other. Like a family atmosphere keeps them engaged and keeps them on board. And that's ultimately what you want to hold them with an open hand, understanding you're probably going to lose them in five years. Mm-hmm. But man, if you hold them with an open hand, it increases the probability you will keep them after five years right? immensely. And so creating that family atmosphere is just so important. So, okay. So Jason, any final thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah, I just, I mean, I cannot under, under what is it? Understate? Understate. <laughs> Understate the importance of what it is we're talking about, creating that family uh, atmosphere, not only because it increases buy-in and it increases people owning their role and it increases loyalty uh, to the church, to the local body, right? But then also, in my mind, as I said earlier in this conversation, it really opens the room up for people to to get, to give you information you otherwise might not have had because they didn't feel comfortable or they didn't feel safe giving it to you. When someone right. feels really safe with you and really comfortable with you that they can point out, number one, they can own a mistake that they made without feeling yeah. like, oh, I don't want to own it because then I'll just get punished worse. Or right. they can point out a flaw that they see in everything we are doing as a team without feeling like they're a dissenter or like, oh, you're not on board with what we're doing here. Like when you open up the room like that and conversation can just free flow and people feel safe, like they're they're not going to be in danger if they're being honest. Man, it's just like it, it's like throwing gas on the fire of your church's growth yeah. and productivity because <laughs> right. it's just yep. it just opens the whole room up. Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just it. Like if you want to create create integrity or I'm sorry, if you want to boost the chemistry on your team mm-hmm. and you want to boost the productivity on your team, then really as the lead pastor, create an atmosphere where you feel like you're working with family. They feel like they're working with family. When you do that, there's no telling what you can accomplish as a staff. There's no telling what lives can be changed, what you can do in your communities. When you as a pastoral staff are operating like a family who's bought into each other, bought into the mission, bought into your community and giving all you can there's just, God can do so much through all that. And so it's, yeah. it's just, it's worthwhile, whatever time, attention, budget, whatever you need to put in to make that a reality, it's worth it. So, okay. So as we wrap up, I just want to remind you guys that we are, again, we're a couple weeks away from how to skyrocket your pastoral staff's productivity challenge. Uh, it's, it's going to be five days. Um, it's for lead pastors who are in their first five years who want to, you know, you want to pastor a growing church, but you also want to spend time with your family. You want some release in that tension. Um, and so it's going to be free for everybody who joins and is a part. Um, and, and this is for, if you're saying, Hey, I don't have a staff and I want to create a staff, uh, and, and help them be productive. This is for you. If you're saying, Hey, I have a staff and you know, they're not super productive and they're not quite what I would like them to be. This is exactly for you as well. So it's going to be free five days. We launch on May 3rd, sign up at ministryhackers.com slash challenge, and we'll send you all the information. We go live May 3rd at one o'clock central time, and we'll go live for five days and teach you exactly how to skyrocket your pastoral staff's productivity. And so super excited. Now tomorrow, in tomorrow's episode, we're going to talk about, or we're going to look at the pastoral staff members you may have on your team that are keeping your church from growing. So tune in tomorrow. We're going to go live again at one o'clock or one o'clock central tomorrow and talk about the staff members that are keeping your church from growing. So join us live at one central time tomorrow. Have an awesome rest of the day and I'll see you in the next episode. See you guys.